the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Quick note before we begin, this episode touches on discrimination in a surprising way. We just want you to be ready for that. Of course, we're going to uh, approach it objectively and with empathy as we do all of those, dare I say, sticky topics. Oof, there we go. You dared. <laughs> and how dare you also? Yeah. Uh, it's a question I've been meaning to ask. But no, you're absolutely right. And it is surprising in that, like so many things in history, the most innocuous subjects can often be a breeding ground for very uninnocuous racism and, and xenophobia and, and weird stuff, weird behavior. And oftentimes these things are tied to works of literature, uh, inventions perhaps, or, you know, or people that you can't really always throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, and today is a great example of that. Uh, we still use this product all the time, especially, you know, if you're like a office worker, like, you know, working at Kinko's or something or, or, or an educator. Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about scotch tape, mm -hmm. um, OG scotch tape from the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, which is now known as 3M. Mm -hmm. I guess that's for Minnesota mining and manufacturing. I, that is literally, I learned something new today. Hmm. And uh, we want to start out with a big shout out to our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What? what? Max, what? Did, you know, uh, did you know what 3M stood for? Absolutely not. I never even <laughs> thought about it. I actually did just because of a, another show and because it's such a, a huge company now. But I'm Ben, you're Noel, and this is the uh, weird, weirdly xenophobic history of scotch tape. So we all know what we're talking about, I think. Uh, 
especially as you get closer to holidays, a lot more people are buying scotch tape for presents, right? right? Yeah. And that's double-sided. Yeah. Is that your thing? I don't, can't stand this stuff. I guess I can see the value of it, but I just tend to stick with regular scotch. I only just learned how to properly wrap a present like last yeah, year. So you need to be, you need a certain threshold of skill in present wrapping for double-sided tape to matter. <laughs> you know, I'm always impressed with it, but this stuff, cellophane tape, it's got that kind of eponymous trademark thing that happens. A lot of folks will call stuff that's not branded scotch tape, just scotch tape. It comes about from a time, <laughs> comes about from a time when scotch was a um, an epithet, a derogatory term. It wasn't just describing people from Scotland. It had the added connotation in the 1920s of implying that they were cheapskates. So if something ah. was scotch, it was cheap. Or people might even say, just hypothetically, they might say, you know, you really scotched me on that one. Don't say that uh, to the point about the unsavory origin of seemingly innocuous things. Uh, you'll find this in a lot of common phrases in American English. Like, don't say kowtow. Try not to say powwow or off the reservation or, of course, mumbo jumbo, all of which yeah. have these really messed up etymolo etymological origins. Definitely don't say wow wow or how now. Anything that rhymes is usually racist. I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's not true. Rhyming is wonderful. But you're right, Ben. There's a lot of things that, and, and honestly, we've been called out sometimes on uh, potentially shaky racist etymologies for phrases that are, in fact, innocuous, that we have then gone back to look into uh, and investigate, you know, the accusations uh, and, and found them to be more, you know, rumor than, than reality. So it's, it's very interesting, especially when you go back and you're using these kind of, like, dated phrases. But it's so interesting the way these types of terms can kind of come in and out of uh, fashion and then in and out of, like, being considered offensive or not. An interesting one uh, that I just thought about is um, a term that has definitely fallen out of uh, out of political correctness, referring to the Roma people, that also a form of it could have been used to refer to somebody ripping you off or, you know, a cheapskate kind of vibe. And that term has become so kind of canceled that even a moth named after this term, the, the gypsy moth, uh, was renamed. Yep. Yep. Recently. So these these things matter. They do. Also, uh, shout out to a a poet, uh, MC, and a musician that I absolutely love, who also changed her name as a result of learning that specific etymology. Uh, so no name. If you happen, her name was originally no name, and then the other word, uh, she just changed it no name. So no name. If you're listening, I think you might made the right decision. Big fan here at Ridiculous History wonder what your opinion of scotch tape is. And maybe at the end of today's show, we're going to ask how long it will be able to keep this name. Let's, let's talk about it though. The tape is amazing. There's so many amazing inventions that we often take for granted because we who are alive in 2022, were lucky enough to grow up with them. But it turns out producing the first roll of this cellophane tape, scotch tape, it wasn't just an uphill battle. It was kind of a feat of engineering, especially if we look at the story of the guy who created it. So there's this guy, a kid, really. He's 23 years old. His name is Richard G. Drew. 
dick to his friends. He is a research assistant at 3M, and he is uh, he went to engineering school, but he dropped out. He wasn't the world's foremost expert on chemistry, but he is the guy who came up with masking tape, and masking tape is sort of the predecessor of transparent tape or Scotch brand transparent tape. Yeah, there's a great article uh, on acs.org, which is uh, I think it's American Chemistry Society. Their 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 slogan is "Chemistry for Life," so I'm guessing that's what this means. Uh, but there's a really good just kind of play by play of this guy's life and the history of Scotch tape. But that's right. Th- th- this article also refers to him as a banjo player. Yes, as if that's like a term of uh, of abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, he said they say it was the brainchild of a banjo playing engineering school dropout who had a limited background in chemistry and had no idea what he was getting into when he told a client he could solve his problem. That is uh, where often genius ideas come from. Yeah. Having yeah. a problem to solve. And I, I agree. I like the uh, I like the idea of banjo playing as a condemnation. Like picture a bunch of stuffy old patricians in a 3M boardroom saying, this man dropped out of of engineering school, he knows nothing of chemistry, and rumor has it he plays banjo. And everyone's like, right. It also make, it does make you th- it gives you deliverance vibes. Um, I can also picture these executives or somebody working like well, he's in there in his office or his cubicle. They had, what's that racket, Dicky? Mm-hmm. Get out here! What is that thing? Get it out! And they smash it in front of his eyes. Um, you know, with I'm, your I'm claw taking, hammer? Yes, I'm thinking too far. No, no, uh, that's but right it's where true, it man. Here's the thing. In the early 1920s, there was a style of like paint for cars that was very popular. Two tone, two tone things in general were popular in the 20s and then 30s. You know, like think of like saddle shoes and uh, uh, saddle shoes. <laughs> yeah, yes, and yeah. a third I mean, example of saddle shoes. Yeah, 100. percent But it was difficult, right? Because to get that two tone look, you needed to have you needed to make it so that the paint wouldn't bleed. You know, mm-hmm. so you could like literally mask off one side from the other uh, while you painted one color and then, you know, have this dividing line that would be clean. Um, So this was a problem that hadn't really existed prior. Exactly. I mean, you know, there would be other things that this would solve as well, but this kind of fashion conundrum led to some, you know, folks at 3M and probably other companies putting their heads together to try to figure out what to do. There were some sort of life hacky examples that weren't really that great. Yeah, the thing was people had had to mask off sections of whatever uh, while painting things in the past, but now this is such a common problem that people are making their own cottage industry solutions. So automakers, body shops, you know, these classic MacGyvers of the car world, they improvise. They take old newspaper and they glue it over the body and the windows with sometimes homemade glue, sometimes medical-grade surgical adhesive tape. And they did this because if you're a fan of cars from the 20s, you know that you need that sharp line, that sharp border between the two different colors. But Because they were improvising, they weren't using stuff custom made for this purpose. Oftentimes, 
the pendulum of their solution swung too far in the wrong direction, this this glue, these adhesives, would work so well that trying to remove them messed up the paint job. Shout out to anyone who's had to paint a house when they move in or move out. Around this time, 3M is already making a bunch of other stuff. They make a lot of abrasives, mainly. Sandpaper. Think of sandpaper. Or for our second and third examples, other kinds of sandpaper. So this guy, Drew, one of his first jobs there was taking these samples of a kind of waterproof sandpaper 3M made and bringing it to auto body shops to test it. So picture this. One morning, it's 1923, Max, whatever our 1920s music is here. Perfect. Drew walks into this shop and he overhears this amazing cursing. Now, you know, the U.S., uh, or American English, I should say, is a beautiful language for profanity. And this guy is hearing an artist in the world of profanity. And the reason the guy is so mad is because their homemade painting solutions had yet again messed up a paint job. And if you've ever been involved in auto body paint, you know it's a time-intensive process. And there are a lot of things that could go wrong. So the guy who had just uh, messed this up, he is livid and he's just screaming you know to the universe the gods and everyone in the universe about the injustice of it all and this is not the first time drew's seen this but this is the first time he speaks up so he comes in and he's like what do you say fella if i told you i could make a tape that'll solve all your problems and uh here's the thing and this goes back to this great acs article one historian notes Drew was kind of talking out the side of his neck here. He did not know how to make this. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. He did not know how it could be made. He just knew there had to be a better way a la television infomercial. And this historian said he was just, he was just optimistic because he was young and life had not, you know, sandpapered him down as much as it does others. Ah, the optimism of youth, eternal and, and strong and sometimes misplaced, but not in this case, because uh, honestly, you know, what was most important here was that he identify a problem that needed to be solved um, anytime. I mean, that's really kind of the root of most kinds of innovation mm -hmm. is you, you, you create something that people didn't even know they needed, you know, like, like you got people doing this process that's like literally ruining their, their paint jobs. And they're thinking this is, this is the only way and this is, we've just got to figure it out and deal with it. And then someone comes along and says, but what if uh, I could make a, a tape that isn't that sticky? What if there were a tape that wouldn't ruin your paint job and it wouldn't be, you know, it's so funny. I mean, masking tape is useless for, for like actually sticking things to walls for long. Uh, it's pretty useless for a lot of things, but its lack of stickiness or its sort of mid-level stickiness is what really makes it work. So when Drew grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, one of the Twin Cities, he spent a lot of time honing his banjo skills and playing in local like dance kind of bands that would basically essentially, you know, gig uh, playing at parties and, and sock hops and the like. He actually got enough money to pay his way into the University of Minnesota, but 
as we said at the top of the show, he found it to be a little too difficult. He'd rather be playing banjo. Um, so he dropped out after only 18 months and instead decided to take a correspondence course uh, in machine design, which was enough, apparently, to get him noticed and hired by 3M. And that is what led him to this moment that we are describing, this moment of, I'm going to make a promise that I don't know if I can necessarily follow through with, but I feel like between me and, and my colleagues and you know the, the mm-hmm. know-how of 3M and all the stuff that we've already made and all the chemicals we have at our disposal, surely there's, there's a solution here somewhere. Yeah, he was saying, look, if the first M doesn't get it, we got three other M's we can apply to the problem. He also had the support of his bosses at the company In general, they were just looking to diversify their products. So they said, okay, this is a good idea. Like I've always said, you know, probably 98% of the the trick to making a good invention is asking the right question, identifying the problem. So, So he starts with waterproof sandpaper. 3M already makes it. He's got experience with it. They use an adhesive to uh, get the grit, right, on their paper base. He starts experimenting. This takes him two years. He goes through vegetable oil, different kinds of resin, uh, chiclet, the stuff uh, from which chiclet gum derives, glue glycerin. And so eventually, about two years later, he makes this formula that uses cabinet maker's glue and glycerin, and adding the glycerin to the glue keeps the stuff sticky, and he treats crepe paper. That's going to be his base. He creates this product called Scotch Brand Masking Tape. It adheres pretty well, but when you pull it off, this is the key, it doesn't muck up the stuff it was adhering to. So this is the origin of what is called Scotch Brand Tape now. But but this isn't the famous one. It was the second one he made that people really grabbed onto. Uh, It was, (laughs) he, this is funny, he would later say, This was serendipity, which he defines as the gift of finding something valuable and something not even sought out. There it is. Yeah, Yeah. it's just that, you know, not not even knowing that you needed something and then figuring it out. Serendipity. I I think I figured out what the fourth M in three, well, there's there's a fourth M. Is the silent fourth M. It's it's moxie, baby. It also could be magic. Um, I completely agree. But I just want to point out, like, two years working with vegetable oils, I mean, it wasn't like he just went right back to the shop and just, like, whipped this thing out. I mean, this was definitely, you know, because it mattered. Like, you had to get these things balanced out right where it would stick just enough, but not specifically with paint. Probably had to do with, you know, what kind of materials won't, like, bind with the paint and therefore rip the paint off, uh, et cetera. So um, very, very interesting and a lot of uh, uh, stick-to-itiveness, shall we say? Um, but yeah, yeah, okay, thanks, Max. Appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, serendipity indeed. Um, and he decided that there was, in fact, another use for that two years of toiling, uh, you know, over various oils and, and, and resins. He started looking for that thing in 1929, a full four years after Scotch brand masking tape uh, hit the market. Yeah, yeah. This is where we introduce Flax Linum Company. Uh, I love old school company names. Flax uh, Linum. Uh, it's fabulous. Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. Globochem. It right. just sounds made up. It's fabulous. Or, Do you guys know what Calico is? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So there were, they had uh, video game consoles in the, the there were a, a Connecticut leather and latex company. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but they owned video game consoles in the 70s and 80s, like competing with Atari. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we don't like this industry. Let's go buy these uh, like toys and these dolls in Georgia. And so then they owned Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, yeah. And Connecticut got a, leather company. And they've got a creepy, creepy, uh, <laughs> creepy Cabbage Patch headquarters here in Georgia. Worth a visit. Yeah. Worth well, a visit. The secret ingredient there, Max, is money. Oh, yeah. You can, <laughs> you can go in whatever direction you want if you start early enough and have enough money. Check out some of the earlier car stuff episodes on the origin of automaker companies, coach builders. A lot of them were in other businesses well before autos, uh, just like how Nintendo was a playing card company. True story. So this place, Flax Linum Company, they make insulation out of St. Paul. And they said, look, we are we got a deal to insulate hundreds of refrigerator cars for the railroads, but we have a complication. These insulated areas, they need to be wrapped and sealed with something moisture-proof. And they said, okay, maybe Scotch brand masking tape will work, but it didn't. Meanwhile, in just that four-year span we're talking about, our boy Drew has become the technical director of 3M's product fabrication laboratory. Cool, he earned his stripes. So they work around the clock. Well, not around the clock, but they definitely put in more than 40 hours a week on this, and they can't come up with anything. Bupkis, they couldn't make something watertight. But then they realize they're not operating in a vacuum. No one is. Another company you may have heard of, the famously evil DuPont company, had developed cellophane. And cellophane is dope because it's moisture proof. And they thought of it as just like a packaging material. But another guy at 3M thought about this and showed a sample of cellophane to Drew. And Drew had that eureka moment. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, All trumpets and angel farts and the sky opens up and he goes, there it is he started testing cellophane and he said, look, this will work for our pressure sensitive removable tape. He finds a lead finally after, after butting his head against so many not sticky enough solutions. And they say, look, we have figured out the answer for you, Flax Lidum, but Flax Lidum was no longer interested. So that deal wouldn't work out. They had spent so much time trying to figure out this solution, and now they had it all too late. But it was only too late for Flax Linum. There were all kinds of other people who said, this will be perfect for us. A lot of food industry folks. Well, sure. I mean, the idea was to be able to use this tape uh, for tape-like uses in um, conditions that maybe were higher moisture, like, like what do we say, refrigerated cars and all of that stuff. So while Flax Linum may have presented the problem that needed solving, there were other, you know, clients for this thing. I mean, they were not the only one. So it wasn't like they were making this specifically as a single client for a single company. I mean, they just kind of gave them the the impetus to, to reach out and, and, uh, and figure this thing out. So by this point, cellophane was hot, 
It was big. It was, it was, it was, it hit the scene and was being, you know, adopted, uh, big time in industries, specifically like meatpacking, you know, same things, same things we use it for today. Grocers, you know, for like, uh, I imagine bags, you know, cellophane type bags for produce and all of that, uh, bakers, candlestick makers, perhaps. Uh, I'm not sure about that one specifically, but it was an important, uh, innovation because it was a moisture proof way of sealing things in, you know, and keeping things fresh. So Drew now being the, you know, basically the head developing guy at 3M, um, he's got like a, you know, a team under him and uh, they press on. It took them just about another year to make their first marketable product. Uh, and it was called Within the Industry. And again, this uh, ACS.org article refers to it as, quote, the longest and most discouraging months in 3M history. They just couldn't crack the thing. Mm -mm. They just couldn't crack it. No, cellophane would get near heat and it would curl up. Or you would try to do some machine coating and the stuff would split everywhere. It broke, it tore. You couldn't even get a full roll of the stuff coated. Uh, if you did manage to get it coated by some miracle, then the adhesive would be uneven. It'd be gunky in some places and barely yeah. there in others. Also, it looked bad. It was a dark amber adhesive. It it spoiled one of the selling points, which was this stuff was transparent. We're going to find out how important color is in another episode on ketchup, by the way. So stay tuned. For sure. We, we just just a little tease on that. I mean, we know that one of the reasons like McDonald's uses yellow and red as their primary branding colors is those are colors that psychologically tend to make people hungry. There's a lot of uh, science and psychology behind color. And again, like this is so interesting because who cares if it looks crappy as long as it does the job? Well, I'll tell you who cares is the consumer cares. Like aesthetics matter. And then you want something that, that comes out looking neat and tidy. And, and that's why so much energy and research and development and money is spent on figuring out how to package things. Literally stuff that you instantly throw away uh, is what separates the thing that you buy from the thing you don't buy. You mm -hmm. know, that's why a label matters, why beer art, uh, for example, is so very important because, you know, not everyone's a connoisseur of, of, of fine boozes and spirits. I mean, the, the, the choice will often be between one or the other, which one has the flashiest logo. I got to tell you, I'm going to be honest, Noel, Max, all our fellow ridiculous historians, I'm confessing to millions of people now, I buy wine based on the stories I make up in my head about the background of the label. Like, sure. I roughly know a little bit about wine, but not very much at all. And if there's a cool bottle, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm with you. I only yeah. buy wine from Francis Ford Coppola's private vineyard because that's what uh, that's what you get when you buy Coppola wine. Well, Francis, I will be a great customer if you can come up with really enigmatic, fertile for story looking branding. Like I picked up a wine called Chaos Theory just because yes. I thought this would be a great movie. And in, in my head, uh, the cashier was not impressed with my pitch. Well, and speaking of packaging, too, <laughs> that's great. Uh, you're also a very imaginative person, and uh, I can see I can see this being good fodder for, for short story writing for you. But um, uh, speaking of packaging, Coppola's wine brand actually has a juice box looking, I believe, rosé mm -hmm. that's called Sophia, I think, named after his, his daughter, the also incredible uh, 
Sophia Coppola. childhood director. Yeah. Sophia Coppola. Not so good uh, in The Godfather Part 3, but we'll give her a pass on that because it went on to have a very storied and uh, an excellent directing career that goes strong to this day. But yeah, it, it's like a juice box of rosé wine, and it sells like hotcakes. Those, those Brooklyn, you know, wine moms love the stuff. Because you can carry it around to the park, you can hide it in your uh, in your baby bag. Even um, you don't have to look like a lush; you just look like you're drinking like a little juice box. But packaging matters, color matters. Mm-hmm. This dark amber adhesive, you know, looking all splotchy and gross, matter. So they had to figure out another. They had to get back to the to the drawing board, back to experimenting with the oils and the resins and the and those cements and all of that stuff. Making and new machines, right? New machine. They were basically trying to figure out how to keep that that selling point of cellophane, uh, the cellophaning point. Now, uh, take that out, Max. You don't. It's just too late. Uh, the, the damage has been done. Um, keep it, you know, solid. Keep it transparent. Um, they wanted their additions to be literally transparent, so no one would even could tell the difference. Uh, they found, though, that, that through experimentation, using a primer helped the, uh, the sticky stuff uh, hold evenly along the backing of the sellotape. Ooh. Also, before we move on, I do have to pop Ben's bubble real quick. So in 2007, there is a movie rated PG-13 release I called found it. Chaos Theory. I haven't it, watched uh, it. It uh, It's uh, starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Emily Mortimer, and Sarah Chalk. So uh, I'm sorry, Ben. but You're you just know. doing this to put Max with the facts in there. Sarah Chalk from from Scrubs fame and Rick and Morty, yeah. I always liked her. I always yeah. liked her. Also, I, I'm 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 guessing that this is probably a low rent like Ian Malcolm kind of vibe. You know, wasn't that his whole deal? Chaos Theory. Uh, I yeah right. I like the um, I like the idea that I had, but of course I'm not going to ding anybody. It's just a great name. It you know it sold a bottle of wine to me as um as an absolute Philistine when it comes to wine, we should also look into the origins of the word Philistine, like our in our Luddite episode. But first, the tape, right? We're on tape talking about tape. Not really. This is a digital recording. Uh, but one day we'll do analog. So it's September 8th, 1930. They've just gotten through one of the most depressing times in 3M history as far as the 1930s go. And they sent their first roll of, look, we did it, cellophane tape to a client. The client loved it over the moon. Uh, But this still might not make for scotch tape history because DuPont, who helped give them this original innovation, DuPont had been working on their own stuff too. They made a heat sealing process for cellophane And this heat sealing process greatly reduced just the demand for tape as a package sealer. This is also, of course, to the earlier point about things not occurring in a vacuum. This is the first full year of what will be later called the Great Depression. Not the best time to introduce a brand new shiny thing, but it still weathered the depression. And this is where we get a little bit to the xenophobia. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part time, or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
So how did the term scotch get associated with this masking tape and this cellulose tape? Well, when they were uh, back back in those car painter shops, when Drew and the team were testing this masking tape, one painter complained about the lack of adhesive. And according to one urban legend, this painter said, why are you so scotch with the adhesive? Meaning, why are you such a cheapskate with the adhesive? And the other story, which is a little more directly aimed at people, says that the painter instead told Drew, you take this back to your scotch bosses and tell them to put more adhesive on it. This painter, I guess, hated Scottish people. Is that is that what we are to take? This is like based on an insult about the product in addition to an insult toward the people of Scotland. Yeah, it seems so. And the term, I think, you know, it was just part of kind of the parlance of of the time, to to quote the Big Lebowski. Uh, Scotch was a racial slang that was thrown around referring to people being stingy or or cheap. And it was so such a known term that Drew felt this would be good branding and, you know, ultimately applied this term to to the brand of the tape, uh, initially the uh, the masking tape, and then it carried on. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, or as you probably know, if you've bought tape anytime recently, this is still a thing. And the little part of the tape that you, like, rip off that sort of keeps it from, you know, losing its edge, you know, to, like, to unfurl the tape from the spool... It's got a little Scottish tartan thing on it, you know, yeah. like the like the Nessie hat, you know what I mean? Like that uh, that pattern, that that uh, checkered black and red pattern. So they're kind of still leaning into it. Maybe that's their attempt to just make it. No, 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 no. Let's just do erasure, you know, and be like, no, no. We just we just think the Scottish people are great. Uh-huh. And we want to <laughs> we want to honor them and their culture with this tiny tartan on our rolls of tape. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it seems more like a marketing ploy to to step away from this legacy, but I I can't say that for sure. But to your point, Ben, based on our conversation about these kind of pejoratives, you know, and like the moth that's name has been changed, is this, are we in sports team territory where things get so kind of like backlashy that that a team might have to change its name? Because the 3M sticky adhesive thing, like, 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 like how the Washington team did their name for two seasons before settling for commanders, which was somehow worse. It does seem well, worse. I always thought that. Yeah. They they also had a mascot originally, Scotty McTape. True story. Cartoon boy wearing a kilt. Uh, he was Is it true. Yeah, it's true. Scotty, Scotty McTape. McTape. Yep. First appeared in 1944, right before the tartan design, and he was the mascot for two decades, I think. So uh, they they like if you weren't around, then you probably wouldn't have seen. That unless you had, you know, unless you have very thrifty elderly family members who managed to keep a hold of their original scotch tape without using it all. Uh, it's weird though, you won't find a lot of this history on 3M's official website. If you go there, you'll see that they talk about Richard Drew and they talk about how uh, important the tape became during the Great Depression. This is true. It made They were able to make simple repairs to household items. You know, you were mending things because you couldn't buy them. Uh, And if you look at the website, they do describe him as a banjo player again. There must have been a weird moment in their boardroom. But 3M itself is not a Scottish company. 
like we said, it started in northern Minnesota, and Drew himself, uh, we don't think he's of Scottish ancestry, or at least not enough that he noted it. It wasn't like he was reclaiming anything. And so if you read the somewhat sanitized version from 3M, you'll see that they they mainly they mainly emphasize the part where uh, Drew and Co sent this tape to this company that made bakery products and their response was put it on the market. You can now see that 3M has used this Scotch branding for uh, magnetic tape products for audiovisual stuff up until the 1990s. And after the 1990s or around that time, their tapes just got branded with the 3M logo. And now as of 1996, 3M does not sell magnetic tapes. I think they sold off that part of the business. But they still have other things. They have Scotch Guard. Remember Scotch Guard? Scotch uh, Bright and Scotch Light. I don't remember what Scotch Light is. Yeah, it's funny. Again, as a as an audio nerd, um, if you're into like reel-to-reel recording or like actually recording on tape, there are still quite a few companies that make magnetic tape. But 3M is not one of them, but certainly were uh, early on. And like, you know, there are folks uh, in production and in, in audio production that swear by certain manufacturers and, and things like that, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very it's a very interesting thing to get in on the ground floor of because what we're talking about essentially is like a company that was around long enough to like see a need in, in just, you know, humanity kind of emerge and fill that need and be sort of the first to market, have that brand recognition that really just carries on. And you can't really buy that kind of, uh, that kind of brand awareness. I have a theory, by the way, about the banjo playing, why they keep mentioning it every time. I think it's just like, this guy was a little kooky. He was outside of the box, you know? He played Uh the banjo for crying out loud. I mean, this guy was a real maverick. Um, That's my my theory. Humanizes him a little, too. Uh, So... (laughs) More so than that awesome joke I made that we had to cut because we're a family show. But the uh, there's there's something else here. Um, we should talk about what made it so popular, like why why it became so common during the Depression, you know, when a lot of people couldn't afford to buy cars, much less get them custom painted into a two-tone design. Scotch tape was used to mend pages of books, sheet music, even rips in clothing or window curtains. Bankers, because this will give you a sense of how rough things were during the Great Depression, even bankers were using tape. If paper currency was torn up, you know, this was a time where, like, if someone needed 50 cents, they might just rip a dollar in half and say, like, good enough. Bankers would tape this stuff back together. Secretaries patch their fingernails with it. Farmers, I, I did not know this one, farmers could even use it to seal up cracked eggs which doesn't sure yeah I don't, that seems weird to me i wonder if the if they just sold the eggs afterward i don't know but goodyear used the tape on its dirigibles which i think speaks for the quality of the product well i wonder maybe are, are they sealing cracked eggs to keep them structurally sound because they're hatching chicks out of them that's the question i don't I don't know. It's, I mean, it's good because they would have to be incubated and all that, and maybe the heat would would melt the uh, the heat heatsever be a problem. But I certainly, well, you know, it was a time of austerity, so maybe folks were more likely to be willing to buy 
an egg with a piece of scotch tape on it. Yeah. Um, you know, we think of scotch tape uh, or, or the this type of cellophane tape as mainly being f- used with paper products, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, to tape things up on bulletin boards, perhaps. But also, the stuff is it can be a little insidious, you know, the, the residue it leaves behind or having to kind of pick off the, 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 the bits of tape that sort of got ripped and sometimes can never come off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are there are things that you shouldn't apply this adhesive to. Right. And I think everybody's probably experienced that even you know what? Back to the original conversation, even wrapping presents, if you are like me and you're not the world's uh, you're not an Olympic level present wrapper, then, you know, if you try to redo the tape, you can pull off some of the decorative surface of that's right of wrapping paper, which is why also I've like wrapped stuff in pillowcases, aluminum foil, newspaper. I, I like be a little creative with it. Well, and there are different strengths of the stuff, right? Yeah. Like what we would maybe call packing tape, um, which would be a stronger cellulose plasticky type, you know, material that you can't really just rip with your hands. You really need like a really a sharp blade, which uh, on those packing tape kind of dispensers, those can be a little bit, uh, a little bit dangerous if if wielded uh, without the proper respect. I also do want to point out too that the 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 tartan branding that we were talking about it's not just the little the little nubbin that you rip off it's like on the outside of the of the tape the, the you know the little tape dispenser it's green and black actually maybe mm-hmm. there's uh maybe there's a different color way for it um on the little thing that you rip off I feel like but I've I, seen some some a, a blue and black version of that design. I mean, the, also, this is not related to a specific Scottish clan either, in case anybody is wondering. But uh, but there is some... Which, to, to, well, just, to, just to double on that, you mean a, a really a tartan is almost like a an identifier. It's like a certain pattern or a certain color scheme that would identify like a family lineage, like in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the earliest known tartan... Uh, can be dated to the 3rd or 4th century A.D. So it's been around for a while. It wasn't their original idea, this pattern. But there's something neat, and I'd like to walk through this. I don't want to defend the pejorative stuff, but I do want to point out that from the corporate perspective, you can see why they would want to lean into this idea of thriftiness, regardless of how problematic. Everybody in the United States, well, virtually everybody, 99.8% of everybody in the United States had to be incredibly thrifty, more so than they had been at other points in history. So it made sense. It seemed like you were identifying with the common person, at least in the boardroom. But those guys hated banjo. Don't trust them. As (laughs) And here's the inspiring thing. 3M during the Great Depression was one of the few companies in the world, not just in the U.S., but in the entire world that did not lay off employees during this time period because they prospered with scotch tape. And they took it, they ran with it, you know, they made more and more specialized kind of tapes for industrial use and for just regular regular folks in their houses. And I believe it was World War II when almost all of their tape production went straight to the war effort, just like uh, automakers started making weapons of war. 
Yeah, or any any number of other giant manufacturing um, corporations. Uh, I think it's so interesting, and it was it was a lot more common than people realized. Like diverting their production facilities, going from making tape to making you know hand grenades. Obviously, not that exactly. You'd have to you know have the infrastructure in place to make a type of product that was close enough to what you were making before. So I would imagine maybe they uh, focused more on that magnetic tape for communications, perhaps, um, or, you know, other types of industrial solvents or things that would be useful in the war effort. But like with these auto manufacturing facilities, they were literally able to make like not maybe not tanks, but like military vehicles. Exactly. Yeah. And they would go on to make over a hundred different types of tape to solve specific production problems during the war. Even stuff down to, like, how do you label parts correctly and efficiently? Uh, This is also the time that material shortages forced them to switch to synthetic acrylate adhesives. They were running out of rubber, essentially. I mean, during World War II, global supply chains collapsed, uh, and This acrylate adhesive wasn't as strong, but it had a neat advantage. It aged better over time. It stayed clear while the rubber-based adhesives would turn yellow and brittle. And if you've ever seen old tape, you know what we're we're talking about. It gets kind of cloudy, right? And even cracks, kind of, or it'll start to, like, kind of break apart. Yeah, it's super brittle. And this leads to the creation of Scotch Magic Tape, it's the first tape you could write on with a pen, pencil, or marker. Yeah, which is cool, I guess. Um, you know, you can use it to make fun little stickers. <laughs> I'm not sure what is the, I mean, for labeling, I guess it would be helpful. Sure, yeah, totally. And now, scotch tape is still being made by 3M. 3M is a multi-billion dollar global company, but it never forgot how it managed to grow to such ginormous proportions. It's due in large part to what they call scotch or magic tape. And right now, more than 90% of homes in the U.S. have some form of transparent tape. It's been all over pop culture. It's even on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, and history is so much closer than we, we might assume. You know, Drew himself died in 1980 at the age of 81, And essentially, the entirety of his career was spent tinkering on improving these concepts and specializing these things. Yep. And lo, these many years later, the idea has just absolutely become a uh, mainstay of American society. Like you said, the company is worth gajillions the the stuff itself the, the the tape has actually been to the moon it was used to create an insulation layer for a lunar lander it's just kind of become immortalized in pop culture and art just the branding of it is like the kind of thing Andy Warhol would have like you know painted like like Campbell's soup cans i mean it really is about as american as uh, apple pie that being said though we do have some parallel kind of uh, production happening over in the UK with cello tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S-E-L-L-O-T-A-P-E. Because again, I mean, sometimes, I, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. Cello tape uh, came out in um, the 1930s. So the company was founded in 19, the 1930s. 
So it was created in 1937 by uh, Colin Kinnamuth and George Gray in a uh, suburb of West London called Acton. Um, and it was, you know, not particularly creative branding, but they took cellophane, which again had been hitting, you know, hitting uh, like gangbusters, uh, and they replaced the C with an S. So over in the UK, they don't use scotch tape. They use sellotape. And while I think scotch tape was first to market, Ben, maybe correct me if I'm wrong there, sellotape was close enough that it has its own kind of legacy and reputation Mm -hmm. across the pond. Yeah, yeah, you're correct, because uh, it also has become that genericized trademark. People will just call anything sellotape and also be much closer to Scotland. You could see how uh, they would probably be looking for something that didn't immediately insult people if people are insulted there. I also want to shout out, you know what? Uh, Drew made it into the National Inventors Hall of Fame, posthumously, as many do, uh, in 2007. And he never, ever forgot the sandpaper that he feels changed his life. So maybe we end on this quote from him. Would there ever have been any masking or cellophane tape if it hadn't been for earlier 3M research on adhesive binders for abrasive paper? Probably not. So good for you, Drew. Credit where it's due. But, you know, don't be too hard on yourself, man. You taped together the world. He didn't say that. (laughs) That's just us. And he taught the world to sing. (laughs) Yes. And play the banjo. And play the banjo. Uh, So thank you so much. (laughs) So thank you so much, Max, for advertising Deliverance, which is a great novel. Uh, and a harrowing film. Uh, And thank you for being our super producer. Thanks also to our research associate, Jeff Bartlett. Speaking of harrowing films, um, uh, I just want to point out, and also Burt Reynolds, um, I rewatched the movie Boogie Nights over this past week. It was the 25th anniversary. And I just want to say, I'm sure this isn't this isn't a hot take. That is a, an American classic. Like everything about that movie hits, and it is just it is everything is in its right place. There is nothing about it that is out of place. It, it, every choice, every cinematographic, you know, style move is just absolutely perfect. So kudos to you, Paul Thomas Anderson. He made that movie when he was 26 years old. The Jerk, ugh. Mm-hmm. And and Burt Reynolds apparently hated it. Yeah, yeah. But they managed to uh, they managed to keep it together long enough, as though they had their relationship mended with tape, uh, to exactly. make to make yeah, an, an amazing film. I want to thank also uh, our nemesis Jonathan Strickland, Eve's Jeff Coat. Let's see. Oh, Alex Williams, who composed this slap and bop. Let's see who else. Noel, who else? Well, we would also like to thank Christopher Osiotis here in Spirit. Uh, uh, Super producer Max Williams, of course, you already said that, but I'm saying it again. Ben, thanks to you, the Dirk Diggler to my chest Rockwell. Oh, boy. Or or whatever uh, it might be. And thanks to you, Noel. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. 
I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.